All right, man. Welcome to the introduction for Crow Triple Seven Radio, episode 169. Jason Lindgren is with me, and Wayne McCroy is back. This is an interesting episode. We cover the whole idea of alien invasions, the supposed disclosure groups that have come to be by pop stars and other things that are supposedly going to tell us all the truth about aliens that's been hidden all these years. But I'll ask a simple question. What if you woke up tomorrow and found out that gravity is nonsense, that you live in a closed system, that space is probably liquid, and the only force here is electricity. Would that be a different world or what? Anyhow, these are some of the things we're going to get into and anti-gravity or so-called anti-gravity we're going to cover in depth in the second hour. The second hour goes almost a half an hour over, so I think this is about a two and a half hour episode. So let's jump in with Jason and Wayne McCroy, who always brings top-notch research. This is no exception. And let's do this episode, man. Cheers. All right, man. Welcome to Crow 777 Radio. This is episode 169. Jason Lingren is with me and Mr. Wayne McCroy is back. Uh, We're going to be covering things that we see coming to a head in the media as we head to, I think it's July 20, uh, the supposed 50-year anniversary of the Apollo missions. But we noticed on uh, some of the classic movie channels, they started running concurrently with all the Apollo stuff on television right now. All the old 50s alien type movies that were big budget uh, to put these ideas out into the world. And so part of this will be addressing, you hear so much about it, the supposed alien invasion. Uh, but anyhow, let's just jump in. I'm rambling. Welcome, Jason. Good morning, Crow and Wayne. So how goes it, man? Do we have anything for the intro? I haven't really been out anywhere that I can add. No, I haven't either. So I think we can go right into this topic. All right. Welcome, Wayne. Hi, good to be here, guys. So after all this, I'll ask before we jump in, um, after all the work that you were doing, uh, putting this together, you, you found a lot of stuff that will probably be covered an hour or two on what likes to be called anti-gravity. But even the words that describe these ideas have to do with electricity, do they not? Oh, absolutely, they do. And I would encourage people to go and just do a quick Google search of another term. And this term is dynamic counterberry. And uh, you'll find that it's almost been completely scrubbed from the Internet as far as a search return. So uh, that's an interesting thing, too. And we'll get more into that in an hour, too. Well, that's, you know, I share something in common with that. When you do search for triple seven now, Google has basically shadow banned us from everyone. People are still searching Lunar Wave, getting millions, many millions of returns. You add my name down to it, it goes to a couple thousand. Um, We're seeing all the subs on YouTube, um, over two-thirds of them taken every month. Every time we upload a new episode, we lose hundreds of subs on that day. So it's coming to crunch time. Anyhow, I'll kick it over to you, Jason. All right, so to tee this up, Recent events that have come to light in the UFO research community seem to point to a specific social engineering agenda. Well, there's a huge surprise, huh? We will examine these events and point out the common sense approach to interpreting these events. These events have come to the attention of the mainstream media and are currently being pushed in mass media and popular culture as actual serious news items for the first time in recent memory. And we're going to tee up to the first one next. So does this mean that we need more evidence for a common sense mind to think anything is actually has validity other than movies and uh, so-called media? Is that what we're talking about here? Yeah, it does seem to be that kind of truth, doesn't it? All right. Anything you want to add, Wayne, before we jump forward? I think it's just important that we need to really keep our eyes focused on on the common sense of a lot of this stuff and the lack of common sense in some of it. So uh, we could go ahead and start ripping this apart and see you know, what we could discover as to the truth behind these things. 
Well, you know, we could almost nail a specific date of when the idea of aliens became prevalent in society. Um, and it's wholly tied to media and movies. And in the 50s, uh, we got things like the, the day the Earth stood still, million miles from Earth. That other one that Jason always has to remind me of the name. What's the name of that other one, Jason? The big budget sci-fi? Forbidden Planet. Forbidden Planet. These are all running right now concurrently with the Apollo missions. And I would state for the record that nobody had any idea of what a supposed alien would look like or anything else uh, before Hollywood started doing what it does. Anyhow, go ahead, Jason. All right. In 2015, Tom DeLonge, who was the singer for a 1990s pop punk band Blink-182, confounds a company called To The Stars Academy. He supposedly, by chance, is able to attend an employee party for the company Lockheed's Skunk Works division. After hobnobbing with people at this party, he tells them of his idea to start a media company that will be used to disclose secret technologies to the public through an entertainment platform. He soon gets to attend meetings with all sorts of government contractors and intelligence personnel. He puts together a team of experts to help bring this project to fruition. According to Delange, the reason that these people even gave him the time of day is because he could provide them a service that they had never had before. He could help them with their public image. Apparently, he thinks that these people have no input into the entertainment industry, and they don't know how to get their message across. The team DeLange has put together for this project is a who's who of military intelligence operatives and scientists with a lot of inside knowledge. DeLange believes that these people are interested in providing UFO disclosure to the public and can only do so by developing these secret technologies on the public sector. And that is the mission of this group. It is important to keep in mind that, at its core, To The Stars Academy is an entertainment company. Well, let's, uh, before I throw it over to Wayne, uh, Mr. DeLong uh, was in Blink-182. I think that's how he became famous. But let's ask the common sense question that we have asked so many times. If science is a serious endeavor, what place does entertainment have in any form of scientific knowing? And what we have here, once again, it appears, is pop culture entertainment being mixed in with supposed secret technologies. I mean, what do you got, Wayne? Well, let's just look and see, are there any social engineering tells on the face of it all here? If you look, uh, Tom DeLonge's famous for the band Blink-182, which not coincidentally has 666, uh, 9-11, and right. 88 all encoded right in it. So, well uh, done. Well done. What, what, <laughs> what do you need from there? Uh, the other thing to keep in mind is this is all about something called disclosure. And uh, let's play the words have meaning uh, game again. Dis without closure. <laughs> and without end, it goes on and on and on, a mystery that never resolves. So, Jason, get this boy a whip. <laughs> You're killing it. <laughs> yeah, it, it's, it's a bit much uh, when we see anything that has to do with these supposed aliens or secret technology. Um, it's all secret until entertainment gets involved. You know, it reminds me of the time we saw... I forget the, the famous actress's name, Skyping with someone on the uh, International Space Station. It all gets to be a bit much. And I'll remind you once again, when I went to Houston to this Johnson Space Center, the first thing I saw when I walked in was a mock-up of the Star Trek, the TV show Star Trek's Galileo shuttle. Uh, it never ends. And it just, for a common sense person, uh, there should be a clean division between things that entertain us and things that inform us, which science is supposed to be doing. Anyhow, over to you, Jason. 
To the Stars Academy comes into the limelight on December 16th, 2017, when the New York Times breaks a story about the fact that the Defense Department allocated $22 million to a program called ATIP, or Advanced Aviation Threat Identification Program. To the Stars Academy plays a key role in this story. They begin production of a series for the History Channel called Unidentified. That highlights this story, and some Defense Department film footage of an object associated with the program is shown. This object later becomes commonly known as the Tic Tac UFO by researchers. Public interest in the UFO phenomenon is renewed by this mainstream acknowledgement of the validity of the subject. Okay, I think at this point we should take a look at、uh, this team at To the Stars Academy that、uh, Tom DeLong put together. Number one, Tom DeLong, CEO and president, co founder of TTSA.、Uh, he also owns other companies. One's called Mod Life. And I, I think this developed directly as a result of that Mod Life company. And he calls this a transmedia company. So, this is a, a type of company that's supposed to reach over different boundaries and do different things to absorb different things into the entertainment concept. So, that's what he had in mind with this. Let's look at number two, the VP of operations at To the Stars Academy, Jim Semivan. He's a retired senior intelligence service member for the CIA and is now a private contractor who consults for the CIA with his own company, which is called Jim Sem One LLC. So you could see right off the bat, one of the co founders of the company and the, the vice president of operations there is a CIA asset, like plain and simple. Uh, there's still a couple more people we should go through here. We'll just go through the list, and then from there, people could kind of determine what, what this really is.、Uh, number three on the list here Dr. Hal Putoff. And,、uh, you know, Putoff, your mind is being put off right now. So, once again, the words have meaning.、Uh, <laughs> game is being played here.、Uh, he's the vice president of science and technology for the TTSA, and he's also a co founder. Uh, he's also president and CEO of a company called Earth Tech International Incorporated.、Uh, he's the director for the Institute of Advanced Studies at Austin. He has five decades of、uh, experience in research at General Electric, Spiri Rand, NSA, Stanford, and SRI International. He regularly advises NASA, the Department of Defense, and the intelligence communities, corporations, and foundations on leading ed technologies. So, this guy is definitely in the know.、Uh, number four. A gentleman named Steve Justice. He's the Chief Operating Officer and Aerospace Division Director at To the Stars Academy.、Uh, he's a recently retired program director for the advanced systems at Lockheed Skunk Works.、Uh, number five on the list, Lou Elizondo. He is TTSA's Director of Global Security and Special Programs. He's a career intelligence officer for the U.S. Army, Department of Defense, and National Counterintelligence Executive. And he's also A former director of national intelligence. And he ran clandestine、uh, source operations for a time as well. And this gentleman、uh, was also said to have run an unnamed sensitive aerospace threat identification program focusing on unidentified aerial technologies.、Uh, he has a background in microbiology, immunology, parasitology,、uh, with expertise in tropical diseases. And he's also an inventor with several patents. Uh, number six on the list, Chris Mellon, National Security Affairs Advisor.、Uh, he's also a chair of the Science Committee at the Carnegie, Carnegie Museum of Natural History.、Uh, he served for 20 years in the federal government, including Deputy Assistant Secretary of Defense for Intelligence in both Clinton and Bush administrations.
He was also the minority staff director of the Senate Committee on Intelligence, and he helped William S. Cohen draft legislation establishing U.S. Special Operations Command. So uh, this guy has a, a lot to do with national policy and has been in the intelligence community for a number of years as well. Number seven, and there's 10 of these. We'll get to all 10 here. Uh, Dr. Paul Rapp. He is a TTSA's brain function and consciousness consultant. Uh, he's a professor of military and emergency medicine at the Uniformed Services University, and he's the director of the Traumatic Injury Research Program. And this is really interesting that our military has a traumatic injury research program. Uh, he's also a professor of medical and clinical psychology. He holds a certificate of commendation from the CIA for, quote, significant contributions to the mission of the Office of Research and Development, end quote. He also has degrees in physiology, engineering, physics, and PhDs in applied mathematics and theoretical physics. Okay, number eight, Dr. Norm Kahn, National Security Program Management Consultant. He's currently a consultant on national security for the U.S. government with a focus on preventing the use of biological weapons. And, and you'll find that's interesting. A lot of these guys seem to have a lot of background in microbiology and things like that, too, which I find a little disturbing, honestly. But he also had a 30-year career with the CIA. He developed and directed International Committee for Counterbiological Weapons Programs. Uh, he has degrees in biology and oceanography. Number nine, Dr. Colm Kelleher. He's a biotech consultant for TTSA. He has a degree in molecular biology. He's uh, also served as senior management in the aerospace sector. Uh, he's a lab director at uh, Rosetta Corporation, which is a biotech company that's focused on research on viruses for the U.S. Department of Defense. That's so, disturbing, like said, man. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. These guys, this is disturbing. A lot of these guys have this tie to microbiology and and you know infectious diseases and stuff, and uh, also with a you know a subcategorization of aerospace. So that makes me wonder what in the hell are they spraying in the skies, man? Anyway, let's see what else this Dr. Colm Kelleher. He also worked eight years as deputy director of the NIDS. Uh, he served as the deputy administrator of a U.S. government-funded threat assessment program focused on advanced aerospace technology. And he also has a Ph.D. in biochemistry. Okay, number 10. This is the last one. Dr. Adele Gilpin. She is a biomedical research and attorney for TTSA. Now, there's a specialty right there, two different specialties, biomedical research and an attorney. So this, this is, uh, you know, a highly educated person, first of all, for sure. Uh, she's done biomedical research. She's taught biostatistics, epidemiology, and design and conduct of clinical trials. Uh, she's designed clinical trials for the NIH. She has a regulatory law practice that focuses on FDA-regulated products such as medical devices and pharmaceuticals, and she also specializes in research law. Uh, she's consulted with the DOD's Traumatic Injury Research Program. Remember, we talked about that earlier, too. She has a BA, MA, and PhD in psychology and quantitative psychology, and also a JD from Georgetown University Law Center. So uh, there's your team that uh, Tom DeLong supposedly put together, and I think he had very little to do with this. In my opinion, Tom DeLong's a useful idiot for them at this point. Uh, this, this is all run. This, this is a CIA op, no doubt in my mind, based upon those players in this. Well, what's 
we live in the bizarro world. So the list of people you just went through are about as educated as you're going to find in society. Not only are they about as educated as you can find, uh, they, they're in very technical areas of expertise and they've held very high positions according to the list you just read. And yet the CEO of this group is a pop star. It's bizarro world uh, on the face of it. Right. Which is why I say this is this has got to be an op of some sort, because I'm sorry, just because you're a rock star and you talk to these people doesn't mean you're going to get a team like this together to do actual legit science and, you know, this disclosure of these government secrets and stuff like that. This is a controlled op. And like I said, in my view, Tom DeLong, he's just the useful idiot for them at this time. So he seems to think he's providing them a service. But I think, you know, he's the one that's being fooled in the whole thing. You know, there's one thing about the whole thing with Tom DeLonge that makes me curious, and that's, was the pop punk scene of the 90s tied in with this whole switching of the decades and the manipulation of music for whatever reasons, just like grunge was brought in. Blink-182 was one of those bands that also was brought in along with Green Day and that whole scene in the early to mid 90s. Right. Well, there's, if you go back and look at some of the Blink-182 stuff, I mean, there it's it's the normalization of what used to be taboo. I think they have a video where they're running down the streets naked in San Diego or Hollywood or somewhere like that. I, I believe a porn star is introduced into that video. I'm just recalling from memory. But my point is, is if you went back to the 70s or even the early 80s and put stuff like that in music videos, there would have been hell to pay. And so as we move forward, the normalization of all this stuff. But I'm going to ask one more time, Wayne. Supposedly, how is it that Mr. DeLong met all these whatever we want to call them, well-educated government operatives or whatever the correct term would be? Well, I believe he claimed on an interview with Joe Rogan that somehow or another he wound up uh, at a company party for Lockheed where it was the Skunks Works division having the party and he just started rubbing elbows with some people and asking the right questions and, and wound up talking to different people and, and you know, told them his idea about starting this entertainment company about uh, disclosing these different things ab- about these technologies and stuff. Because I guess also he's, he's written a book uh, about supposed secret technologies and, and he claims that he figured out something that nobody else has about this and that's why that they were interested in what he had to say. So uh, anybody could go back and watch his uh, interview on the Joe Rogan show and, and hear what he has to say. So I don't know what, you know, what this guy's claiming is true or not, but that's what he says. Well, all the names you're dropping uh, tell everybody something. I don't know what they'll have to make up their own minds. But uh, I mean, you said it was December 16, 2017 when this got formed. Was it two, three years ago? Uh, the, to the Stars Academy was actually founded in 2015 by the uh, long. But uh, the big story that broke that really brought it to the forefront was that December 16th, 2017, this is when uh, I think it was the New York Times and several other media outlets put out this big story about this ATIP program, this uh, government sponsored uh, research program that was looking at UFOs, you know, with a a funding budget of twenty two million dollars. So play the numbers game again all day long there. Right, exactly. Uh, The master builder number going on there but so let's ask a simple question here wayne we're looking at basically half a decade it will be shortly that this place has been up and running have they ever disclosed anything that matters to your knowledge i don't think so i mean it's basically it's a mystery wrapped in an enigma so it's still nothing's ever really come out that's really verified anything for certain it's just a lot of hearsay without any anything to back it up 
there is some film footage out there. UFOs are a real thing. Don't get me wrong. I mean, there's definitely stuff in the skies that are unidentified. Nobody knows that better than you, Crow. I mean, you've filmed a lot of it. You've seen more, you know, than than most of us have. So it's just a matter of what is this? And uh, the common sense approach to this would be, well, I know there's human beings in the world, and chances <laughs> are this is a this is a technology built by human beings. So, uh, you know, I, I don't see anything to indicate that any of this stuff is, you know, extraterrestrial per se. Well, of course. And what you just did is the common sense tack that any real mind in this world would take. It's a bit like saying, oh, my God, look at that thing in the sky. I know certainly that's a six-legged panda running that thing. I've never seen a six-legged panda, but it's got to be. Uh, it's no different, except in this case, uh, we have a rich tradition of movies and watching entertainment in the West, and they help us all day long imagine what space might look like, spaceships, aliens, any number of things. But anyhow, go ahead, Jason. Keep teeing it up. Concurrently, along with all the information we just went through, a filmmaker with ties to some of DeLong's team named Jeremy Corbell begins filming a documentary on UFO whistleblower Bob Lazar. Bob Lazar's claims had a big effect on popular culture and the UFO research field in the 1980s. It can be correctly said that Bob Lazar is the reason why we have heard of the now-famous Area 51. Is this a coincidence that a man who has remained silent, or nearly silent, for 30 years is now back in the public limelight at a specific time when a new demand for this information has been created in popular culture? So, uh, God, where do I even start here? Um, so basically no one had ever heard of 51, the supposed man Lazar, which I think Wayne can refute almost every claim he's ever made or where he's been, uh, having looked through Wayne's notes. Um, isn't that, isn't Area 51 also covered in that massive uh, 4th of July blockbuster Independence Day that was with Will Smith. Wasn't that wrapped around Area 51 in some way? Um, I don't recall. But what, what we find here is when I started filming things with my telescope early on, I was getting contacted by all kinds of people. And people in and around the Lazar thing were all over what I was filming, trying to convince me that I was filming aliens and other things. But anyhow, what do you got, Wayne? Lazar, really? Yeah. Well, just to kind of piggyback on what you were just saying, yeah, that movie Independence Day, that that classic from the 1990s, uh, yeah, Area 51 played very prominently in that. And not coincidentally, uh, what had happened in the movie was a uh, a whole giant group of RVs actually stormed Area 51 in that movie. Ah. and. <laughs> and they went into the base and found aliens. So, you know, could, could you smell, uh, you know, a social engineering narrative there? I don't know. But, well, uh, we, we, sh we should address that, Wayne, because there's this whole meme. Uh, I don't know what it's called, Storm Area 51 or some nonsense, but it's beyond the pale, man. Where is common sense in our world? First of all, all the media is feeding AI. So everybody who responds to that in any way is being counted in any way. Uh, not only that, it gives AI the ability to understand when people are grouping up to try to do a thing. But above all of that, where the hell is common sense gone? You're going to storm a military base. Um, it's, I mean, what, what would be the result of that? Is everyone so bereft of common sense that they can't figure out what the result of a thing like that would do? Besides people getting hurt or any number of things we can imagine, you better bet your bottom dollar that on the tail of something like that, there would be all these draconian laws. Um, what's your take, Wayne? 
Well, what one thing people have to keep in mind with this is Area 51 is uh, largely accredited to uh, being protected by this. This isn't a military group. This isn't like the U.S. military defending this base. This is a private contractor called Wackenhut. Mm. And uh, these people have carte blanche the right to shoot on site if they need to to defend this base. They're, they're authorized to use deadly force if necessary to defend this base. So what you have to realize is this is a private contract firm largely working for a private contract uh, corporation because uh, Area 51 is primarily a testing ground for Lockheed Martin. It, it is a U.S. military base, granted, but it's primarily uh, outsourced workers that work there with these these secret clearances and stuff that work on these projects. So uh, you're talking this this takes everything out of the hands of the U.S. military completely if you have a private contractor, a mercenary service basically guarding this thing. So uh, what kind of accountabilities will be in place for that? That's the whole thing. I mean, there's not anything going to come to it if uh, they happen to use deadly force to defend this from from people who try and get in. Well, I had no idea. I was I guess I was making the assumption, making an ass of you and me that it was military. But let's let's take a quick common sense look at the narrative uh, in Independence Day, which puts all that imagery out into the world. If, in fact, there was some kind of an advanced race uh, that was coming to do us harm and somehow we managed to get one of them or their technology, everybody can use common sense to work out that basically information and knowledge wins war. So everything they could glean from a supposed flying saucer or a supposed captured alien, wouldn't you imagine that anything short of total decimation would be done to stop people from having control of things like this? And so if you truly were talking about a superior race, why would they stand for something like this for a second? I mean, just from a common sense standpoint, none of these narratives work out. And for the life of me, Let's ask one more common sense question here. Is there a shred of acceptable evidence anywhere from any time that has ever pointed to aliens existing in a common sense acceptable way, Wayne, to your knowledge? I mean, we could set aside the whole Roswell thing where a hundred more books are, are written about it every, you know, every year more books come out. You get no closer to resolution. Happened right off the 33 parallel, of course. But I mean, really, is there a shred anywhere in the world that would point to a starting point for some basis to start to think this is possible? I won't come right out and say that it's not possible. It's 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 possible extraterrestrial life could exist. Are they coming here? Do we have their spacecraft? Highly unlikely. Have I ever seen a shred of evidence that they do exist or that they are here? No. Uh, there's nothing beyond hearsay and, you know, an occasional look at this weird thing that we have. This proves aliens. And it's most of the time it's just something that is is easily able to be discarded. Uh, there's alternative explanations for it. But by and large, a lot of these people come out and say, well, this this proves that there's aliens even uh, recently. And we'll get into this later. Uh, we'll be coming up on this very soon in the notes here. Uh, a leaked document came forward that kind of verifies that the U.S. government knows that aliens supposedly exist and that we have reverse engineered their technologies. So, uh, you know, just a government document or some kind of a transcript saying this doesn't necessarily make it so. It could just be more disinformation put in there. And, I, you know, that's my opinion of things. I've never seen a shred of evidence showing that there's any kind of uh, extraterrestrial life. Now, to be very transparent here and very clear, all three of us have had what would be considered UFO sightings. But that being said, that doesn't 
give us any idea whatsoever about who or what might be piloting these craft. Well, geez, I, I, I can't tell you the number of things that I filmed. Um, and when I first started seeing things, um, well, the first thing was those black triangles on the supermoon in May of 2012. Um, but my initial reaction to that was that we were looking at some kind of hidden tech, you know, it was a bit like the, the old stealth bomber. That's what it reminded me of, all those triangular things that we we're seeing. But as I started to film more and more things, at that point, I had never sat down to try to determine, um, are aliens even a possible thing from a common sense standpoint? But as I got into it, um, as you know, Jason, because you've edited so much of the footage, there were really two pieces of footage that are very difficult to describe. One of them was the uh, the vortex that I filmed in full spectrum that could not be seen in visual spectrum because I had two cameras on the event. And the other thing is the shooting orb that was in chemtrails. But as you begin to get experience and you film more and more things, one of the things that happened uh, is I was able to work out to my satisfaction that nothing that I ever filmed was that far away from me. And we did this with an optics expert figuring out the value of a pixel at certain distances. And not only that, uh, as I was watching the Apollos things, you know, they claimed the Sputnik was the size of a beach ball over 500 miles away and people were looking at that. Really? You can see something the size of a beach ball um, over 500 miles away. But my point here is, is that I'm not really a betting guy, but I would probably take a bet all day long that anything I filmed is human tech. But anyhow. Moving along, about a year ago, a leaked document, leaked in quotes, that is attributed to having been in the possession of the now-deceased Dr. Edgar Mitchell of NASA fame was disclosed to the public. This document is known as the Wilson Leak. It is a detailed transcript of a conversation which reveals several key points to the UFO phenomenon and related government and corporate programs that supposedly reverse-engineer some of these craft. The timing of this leak seems to coincidentally correspond to the timing of these other recent events. Well, here's another thing. Uh, it's been 50 years since they claim they put us on the moon, uh, and they're still saying things like space is hard. Um, the private sector is saying it, and the non-private sector is saying that. Uh, we're supposed to accept that what we could pull off in the 60s in a very short period of time uh, can't be replicated for any number of reasons they'll offer you, but I'll offer another common sense observation. If there really were aliens out there that were superior to us and a threat to us, don't you think that being in space and having bases on the moon and all these things that never materialized after we supposedly went there would be a high priority, but it's really not what we see. I mean, what do you think, Wayne? Yeah, I definitely uh, think that uh, the whole moon landing thing, it, it just defies logic and re of, you know, just basic common sense and reasoning. I, I mean, how is it that every other form of technology uh, since the 1960s has exponentially expanded or grown or developed into newer better things but rocketry we, we we can't still can't build a rocket that equals the saturn V. that that makes zero sense to me like uh, if you look at all the other advances and stuff we've gone through since then all these technologies and we can't go there now if we went there in 1969 i find it hard to believe but back to uh, this uh, wilson leak uh, the more disturbing thing that this document points out is uh, admiral wilson he was incensed that he could not get information on these top secret programs. They were controlled by the corporations, and he did not have uh, need to know 
So they would not let him in or read him in to what these projects were. And he was very, very, very high ranking in the intelligence community. And and this is the, the more disturbing thing, that this stuff is in the hands of private contractors, not the, say, the U.S. military or U.S. government, per se. Well, that's that's the trend, right? So everything's becoming privatized now. Um, for some reason, they just gave away our ability to go to space over to Russia. And now what we see is private corporations basically tr- filling the void, getting ready, presumably, to replace NASA. But I've been watching a number of the uh, programs that are on television now to celebrate the 50th anniversary of the Apollo missions. And one thing that struck me is if you go back to the 50s, uh, the footage they have from the 50s, not a single thing that was claimed at the time to get people behind the space program ended up being true or realized in any way. And by the way, uh, a lot of the initial stuff was fear porn. Oh, look, the Russians put Sputnik up. Now they're going to control the high ground and they can nuke us. These were the ideas that were being put out to the public. And so it became this whole thing that whoever controls the high ground, this is a race, man. If the Russians get there first, America's in big trouble. If America gets there first, Russia's in big trouble. But these things never materialized. The idea of somebody taking control of the high ground and the ultimate high ground was the moon. So if you go back and look at all the narratives from the 50s into the early 60s, not a single one of them ever shook out to be real in any way. Right. And just to add to that, back in the 1950s, uh, the the Army actually developed a secret program called uh, Project Horizon, which was about getting to the moon and developing a moon base. And they supposedly had the technology and know-how how to do this in 1959. But that never happened. And like you said, I mean, the moon would be the ultimate high ground. So I find it hard to believe that we went to the moon and just came back, never established a base there or never established territory on the high ground. So that that makes zero sense from a, like a military standpoint. If you want to control the high ground, wouldn't you want to be on the moon and have a, an all-the-time presence on the moon? It, it just defies logic. Well, that is the one, the one military idea that never goes away, whoever controls the high ground, right? Um, that's why air forces are such a big deal in this world, because that's a bit like owning the high ground. But every facet of this you look at like the beginning of nasa which ends up basically we're told being run by nazis and Werner von braun becomes the big name but in short order Werner is in bed with disney and anyone can look up the old disney reels with Werner von braun um or disney people showing what's going to be the next big thing in space and to this day we've never seen anything like they were showing in those black and white TV days, um, these space stations that that look more like 2001, Kubrick's movie. Um, all these things they said that were just about to happen, they never materialized. But again, really, so the head of NASA, who will just set aside that he supposed SS Nazi enemy of World War II or whatever they want to claim, um, this genius is going to go straight over to Disney, and Disney is going to be one of the big outlets for what happens next in science. And I'll ask again, is this a common sense world where scientific knowing is somehow in bed with entertainment? I just don't, I don't accept any of it. Disney was involved with social engineering then, just as they're involved with social engineering now. It's, You're it, kidding. Yeah, it just becomes, <laughs> how, how come more people don't, don't ask the questions like, wait a minute. You know, none of the, none of this jives. None of this is access, acceptable. It smells rotten. 
And, you know, that sets aside all the little things we could point to, like Werner von Braun spends his whole life making the best rocket that's ever been made in this world called the Saturn V. Um, and no one can come close to what he single-handedly designed back at the time. So he's trying to claim he made these powerful rockets that left our world, went out of our atmosphere into a magical thing called space. And by the way, everything about space is always paralleled with water and ships with sails on them, all the language, always. Um, but to get back to the point here, he decides to leave us one last message on his tombstone, right? And that's his birth and death date, supposedly. And then a Psalm 191, which is all about showing the handiwork of God, which is the firmament. And if you want to take the biblical view that he is pointing out of what the firmament is, it basically goes counter to everything he claimed those rockets would do. It's just, it goes on and on and on. Oh, Crow, when you wish upon a star. <laughs> Jiminy Christmas. All of the events that we have been discussing are coming to a head right now, which is July of 2019, just in time for the 50th anniversary of the alleged Apollo 11 moon landing. Is this a coincidence? Well, the number alone tells you it's not, right? It was Crowley's evilest of numbers, and how, how much work have we done here counting the ways, showing the nines and the ones endlessly? Even on Werner's little headstone there, he has to have his nines and ones. Um, go ahead, Wayne. I don't think it's a coincidence that uh, you know this is all coming out right now at just this appropriate time. It, it could be some sort of a ritual going on or something to kind of uh, capture the, the minds of the public. <laughs> and kind of sell them on these things. I don't know. I mean, what do I know? You know, I, I wouldn't <laughs> I wouldn't want to say anything as ridiculous as all that, but you know. Yeah, they, they never play the numbers game. Let, let's look at the number 13. So the supposed big dangerous mission was Apollo 13. Um, but, you know, that goes beyond that. This all goes back to Friday the 13th and, you know, the supposed killing of all the Templars, which is laughable, by the way, because that happened in one country and there were Templars all over the world, we are told. But to this day in the United States, I don't know how it is in other countries, you will never find a 13th floor on a building. Um, you know, the numbers game is part and parcel of the powerful people who build things in our world. And just that one little tidbit alone should tell people something. Really? There's there's a 13th floor in every building. You can count them. It's just when you get in the elevator, there's never a 13 to push. Right. The 13, that's also the number of the phoenix. So, you know, Apollo 13, they rose from the ashes like the phoenix and returned home. So, you know, that should tell people a narrative right there, too. Yeah, no doubt. And then, of course, 13 resolves to 4, um, and the whole ideas of death that circle around 4 and 44. But anyhow, back to you, Jason. So what is the narrative that all of these concurrent events are pushing? First one would be that UFOs are a threat to national security. Second one would be the government knows for a fact that there are extraterrestrials and have been reverse engineering their technology for decades with little or no success. <clears throat> Can I interject a poppycock there? <laughs> Good place for it. <laughs> well, well placed poppycock. The notion that uh, you know the government knows for fact that there's extraterrestrials when nobody else really seems to know for sure, and there's no evidence showing that that's true anywhere, anytime. That's just ridiculous. And the fact that they claim that they have extraterrestrial technologies and they've been working on them or trying to reverse engineer them for decades with little or no success, 
also sounds absurd and ridiculous. There's no evidence for that either. Let me back up for one second. Who can forget Reagan's Star Wars, right? Lifting the name from one of the most popular movies of all time to embed the idea. But everything about Star Wars was protecting people from people. That was the whole idea. And there's another idea that never materialized for some reason. And it was a big deal in the 80s. You heard it all the time. Um, th there was no inkling that it was protection from some outside thing we needed to worry about. It was wholly about, you know, the Russians or someone else with missiles inside. The military-industrial complex had no choice but to keep these things secret from the public due to national security reasons and are actually doing the right thing to keep the public safe and to avoid mass panic. How correct do you think that is, Jason? Do you think the, the public would panic right now if they were told for sure, hey, there's aliens? That's exactly what they're coming out and they're telling people right now. Hey, there's aliens. Is there a mass panic? I don't think so. But uh, that's the whole narrative as to why supposedly these national security agencies and uh, these different projects have been keeping this stuff secret from the public. Well, that would only depend upon whether it's in their Twitter feed or not. <laughs> yeah, that's true. But this all goes back to a Brookings Institute uh, study that they did way back in, I think it was the 1940s or 50s or something, where, you know, they they, they figured that disclosure of the existence of, of aliens or something would, would throw the whole world into chaos because the religious systems would all break down and all of this nonsense. If I'm not mistaken, that Brookings Institute report you're referencing is read verbatim in Kubrick's movie 2001, when the guy goes up to the moon to tell all the people, you know, the, the top secret thing they're about to do. Why? You mean they put it in the entertainment crow? That never happens. Not just in. I, I'm reasonably sure. I could be wrong. But if I remember correctly, it was read verbatim, a portion of that Brookings Institute report. Yeah, that you're talking about the scene earlier in the movie when Dr. Floyd is making a presentation to whatever the little council meeting they're having on the moon. And they're blatantly saying about keeping this a secret because don't know how people would react, really. And honestly, years ago, if something like this was real, I could see people freaking out. In this day and age, man, I just think they wouldn't give a flip. Well, why, why is the, the idea of microbiology and viruses always attached to it? If you remember when Floyd's headed up, all the people supposedly working up there are told there's a sickness. So there's a blackout in this portion. And the people are saying, you know, when they finally are told in that room where they read the Brookings report, um, a lot of them are second thinking, saying, hey, is it right to even conduct yourself in this way? And basically, they're all corralled, saying, you don't go against this. You're being told what to do. But my main point here is over and over in the list of people that Wayne brought to the table, all the microbiologists and the virus people, um, um, that narrative was also in 2001. Uh, all these things revolve one around the other for some reason. Right. So you got to wonder what's really involved. We cannot duplicate this technology and are absolutely outmatched by the extraterrestrials. This technology is like magic and is way beyond our ability to understand. Once again, I would like to interject a hearty poppycock into the mix there, because I don't see that being the case. I mean, science is science. Yeah, there's no evidence that anything that we have, any technologies that we have, or even in research and development or that we're studying, there's no evidence that any of that's extraterrestrial. The big thing I'm getting at here is while it might be incredibly confusing, like let's just say they did have a craft of some sort. Yeah, it's probably going to be very confusing at first, but physics is physics and science is science that at some point they should be able to get through enough of it that it 
would start to make sense. It can't be really a magical phenomenon. Maybe that's why they threw in that mythical element 115, or at least it was mythical at the time in the 80s for the propulsion systems for the Lazar story. Well, that that starts to, to come apart when you get up to Californicum and Berkeleyum. <laughs> well, it exists now. They've gone past that. That's right. That's that's why alchemy is so important, uh, where, where elements are thought in a whole philosophically different way. But in all the research that I've done, what is logical and acceptable to me, which I have announced more times than not, is that Mr. Bernard von Braun told the truth on his headstone. There's a hard, fast barrier up there, and we're not going through it. Nothing's coming in. Nothing's going out. And to top it off, space is misdescribed. And maybe, possibly, likely, describing it as some kind of liquid is much closer. And when you start to take apart the JFK speech with all the nautical language, we set sail on this new ocean, or all the things that he says, or any facet of people talking, or even when you see the Apollo things that they're running on television now. So many times when they start to talk about going to space, they show something splashing down into water. Um, these ideas are echoed over and over and over. Um, so I think from my point of view, the real things that have been hidden are basically just good descriptions. Is there a hard, fast boundary? Is space really better described as some kind of a liquid? These types of ideas. You know what's really funny about those Disney shows with Werner von Braun? These were coming out in the 50s and 60s, and when you watch them, good old Werner still has a very thick German accent. Yeah. And it just, it just sounds so ridiculous. And we're talking about a time when World War II wasn't that far in the past. Didn't anybody kind of be like, what the hell? <laughs> Well, I think it was hidden at that point, uh, mostly, but there is a JFK speech where he alludes to it. I just saw it. I don't remember. Is it Rice University or is it somewhere else? Um, I've forgotten, but he alludes to the fact that now the media loves Von Braun. He's not saying this, but it's implied. And so we can welcome him uh, as having come from somewhere else. But as I looked through the old 50s clips, it looked to me like mostly the idea that Von Braun was a Nazi was hidden, but it was also stated that that's why they didn't want him to be the face of this, that, or the other thing. But there's a problem with that because the other guy, and I've forgotten his name, was also supposedly a Nazi, and he was heading up a different portion of the space missions. It's all a bit much, Jason. It's just all a bit much. Ah, good, fine German engineering. That's what we're working with. Well, it has been stated many times that the superior language in our world for doing mechanical or engineering type things is German. And I think when we talk about things like this, that's kind of proved out um, because here's another thing. It's claimed that the Russians tried to lure von Braun away, but he said, to hell with that. I'm staying in the United States. And so they went after other supposed Nazis and they got all these second tier, what they call second tier Nazi engineers. Supposedly that's what Russia got. But that the head of their little space program said, these guys are useless, send them back to Germany. That's the claim. I'm not even kidding. But anyhow. All right. Next, we have a fresh new investigation needed into the UFO phenomenon. And in fact, the term UFO needs to be rebranded as UAP or Unidentified Aerial Phenomenon. Man, that just doesn't have as good of a ring. <laughs> this is the supposed moniker used by the military-industrial complex to describe these things. As such, words have meaning, and we can see this as a veiled use of language for karmic purposes. The subtlety in the language is this. 
By referring to this as aerial phenomenon, they are revealing a true thing while simultaneously misdirecting you. This denotes that these things do not leave Earth's atmosphere and thus are not true spacecraft in the way we are accustomed to thinking. Well, I've filmed a lot of things that could start to back up portions of that, but I'll tell you, you point out the language UFO and the rebranding. This is true. When my wife and I were shooting, initially, we might say things like, oh, there's a UFO or there's an object or something, but knowingly, we changed it. And people can figure out why this is an inside joke and a poke in the eye. (laughs) Whenever something came into the field of view after hours of sitting there, we'd shout VGP. People can figure out why that's funny. But anyhow, Wayne, you got anything? It seems to me that the uh, term UFO has had a connotation associated with it, and uh, this is something they're trying to get away with. There's there's this sort of stigma that goes with the term UFO, and they, they want to try and turn this into something that could be considered more scientifically valid. So they're trying to steer away from that term, because uh, when you hear the term UFO, immediately people's minds go to aliens, like right away. And that's something they're trying to... Uh, kind of get away from a little bit, even though they are pushing aliens as the narrative, they don't want to use the term because of that connotation, because it's it's largely something that's considered to be like silly, per se. Well, the whole thing has that notion of the silliness of little green men, UFOs, the greys, all that kind of crap. Right. It's like an unsophisticated type term for it. So they would prefer to go with something like unknown aerial phenomenon or something like that in order to describe it. Well, it's a bit ironic because it's showing the evolution of the mind warp, right? Because we can actually put a date on the first time that anyone living in the West had any inkling or idea of UFOs. And that's when that dude, I've forgotten his name, is flying his plane. He claims he sees these saucers. And this is, what, one or two weeks before we do the Roswell incident? You can see where the ideas are injected into the culture. You can see what comes next. And you can see the movies, the slew of movies that just pick up the idea and push the narrative. And so basically, when we use the idea UFO, that was handed to us by the people who did the initial, whatever you call it, outing of the idea. Wayne, do you remember the name of the guy who's flying his airplane? I can't recall. That would be a Mr. Kenneth Arnold who had ties to uh, military intelligence, as I recall. Right. So this guy's flying a plane. He sees what supposedly some other media guy ends up coining the idea of flying saucers. So we don't even ever have the term before this day. And then within a very short period, I forget whether it's a week or two, it's a very short period of time. uh, The word flying saucers is heavily injected into Western culture with the Roswell incident, which is also a good place to put the word poppycock. All right. The last point for hour one. Things that the UFO research community has known, quote-unquote, and talked about for years, they are now being proven true, and this is ultimately leading to disclosure by governments. We can cast an eye toward Dr. Stephen Greer, I think, for this. And Mr. Tom DeLong from Blink-182. Thank God he came along or we'd have never known anything about aliens. (laughs) Not only that, yeah, Mr. Stephen Greer... uh whose uh, disclosure project was funded by the uh, Rockefellers. And I think that's pretty much all you need to know about that. Actually, I was contacted uh, when I was filming back in the day, and they were interested in all my footage to use in in their film, Sirius. 
Um, and this is one thing that always gets me. Like, you'll turn on the television, and there's some new alien program, and they have no interesting footage. Most of it's terrible footage where something is being implied. And I thought, you know what? On my YouTube channel alone, there is enough footage to drive endless programs, and yet nobody's interested in the actual real footage. Uh, and it's no different than than that whole serious movie that these guys put out. Uh, they contacted me for the footage, and, you know, anyhow. So. Could this all be true? Do you think that there really could be hostile aliens with fantastic super technologies that we have no prayer of competing with out there in the great beyond? Or is there something else entirely going on? Do you want to believe, Mulder? <laughs> Nil, nine, niche, no. How many languages can I say it in? But we're, we're going to wrap up for hour one here. Um, but we are going to get into some pretty interesting stuff that has to do with so-called anti-gravity. As I've stated so often on this show, from my point of view, there's only one force in our world. It's called electricity, and electromagnetism would be a bit like the daughter of electricity. I've stated endlessly that from my point of view and research, the sun is electric, the moon would be better described as my magnetic. In all the current research that Wayne brought to the table and other things that address so-called anti-gravity, the idea of electricity is right there. Would you add anything in closing quickly here, Wayne? The only thing I have to add is we could ask the question, are, are there really these types of technologies out there? And I would speculate, yes, there are. I, I see evidence there's a clear traceable scientific development line of these things that will go into into hour two. Now, could this be what's being covered up by this whole, uh, say, alien agenda? Possibly. We'll talk about that more later. Well, if we had that technology openly to the public, we would not all be using internal combustion engines and burning dinosaurs. That's right. I said it. Dinosaurs in our gas tank. <laughs> Um, but anyhow, that'll bring hour one of 169 to a close. I hope you'll join us all over at crow777radio.com in the free speech zone. One of the interesting things is when we get into the anti-gravity part of it, you're even going to see terms like electrogravitic, again, pointing to the fact that probably these technologies exist, but it's electricity or magnetism or some combination of those things. Anyhow, join us all over at crow777radio.com for the second part of the alien invasion. Cheers. <laughs>